We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And your boy Hatch is in the building. Oh yeah, we got a nice guest today. Uh, we 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 well, share. Don't some, say uh, don't say don't say nice. We have a great guest today. Don't say nice. He's not a kitten. You know what I'm saying? Let's say he have a great guest today. Oh, okay, okay, cool. That works. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, coming to the show today, man. We have a great, a phenomenal guest. We have Absolutely. a two-time uh, Super Bowl champion, uh, mm-hmm. Chris Long. Um, we share. Uh, the locker room, uh, what teams, rather, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Fortunate for me, unfortunate for me, I didn't get to win the Super Bowl, but but he did. So uh, <laughs> we, we'll talk. A he got bit he about got that. two rings. He'll give you one. How about that? Yeah, but I have a Hall of Fame ring, and I can probably that don't count. Rings. That don't count. That's better than that's better than a Super Bowl <laughs> ring, if you ask me. It, I mean, is it? Is okay. Hold yeah. on. Let's let's stay right there for a second. So you would rather be in the Hall of Fame than win a Super Bowl? Is that, a, is that a true statement? I mean, it's almost like um, you didn't achieve one, but you mm-hmm. kind of achieved the, the, the greater, the, the best of the two. You think Hall of, Fame, the the two? Hall of Fame ring is think? bigger than, a, than so a, like, a Super Bowl ring? For me, it acknowledges what I did because not, not a lot of players get to go into the Hall of Fame. For me, it kind of Not validated. a lot of players win a Super Bowl. Right, and there are a lot of players that not even, didn't even really contribute but got Super Bowl rings. That you, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of players that got Super Bowl rings, but you don't really think too much of it. So, really, does it really matter? I mean, people could say that about the Hall of Fame. Does that matter if you didn't win the Super Bowl? Well, I get it. I yeah. just want to get. I just want to get your opinion on that. I've well, never, yeah, because I just when you think about when you think that. about the Hall of Fame, it basically kind of just it kind of puts you on another another pedestal, if you will, because it identifies no. some of the. So no, it, yeah, it, 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 it identifies with some of the greatest to play the game at pretty much every position. It means that you are at the the top. So that top. it also means you're one of the top there's what 53 Super Bowls, so there's 53 world champions, so that also means you are the top team in the world and there's only 53 of them. So I mean, I, I get it. I just want to get your perspective on how important um, yeah, I mean, one yeah, I mean, ring is. is to another. But yeah. Right. What Some I people have- think the opposite. I get it. Right. I mean, would I have liked to uh, have won a, a Super Bowl? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, it, it did. I didn't come short. It wasn't like I I, I came short of, of trying, 
Um, I definitely put all the effort that I could, you know, considering my situation to, to definitely win one. I guarantee mm-hmm. you, I think you give me, if I get two more passes in that game, we, we, we win that game. You know what? I disagree. But since I'm gonna of let course, you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you. you <laughs> hey, we, hey, we, we had, we was, we had two NFC championships. We, we a team. I know, I know, I know, I know you don't recognize, but the word is team. So that means there's 53 of us, not just but, one. I know that's me, hard for you to fathom in your right. Let me brain. let me take a page out of Kobe and MJ's book, oh, just like he did with you, the that's word. That's not your book. Win. That's yeah, not your I'm, book. I'm in, you're not I'm, in that book. Hey, I'm in this. Hey, I'm in. I'm in the same book. There is an M E in team. So regardless of what you may say, I, 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 I get it, Hatch. I mean, granted, we started out kind of like on the same, same playing field. But the trajectory of your career and my career, trust me, it's, it's night and day. And you I got, understand. You got lucky. You, you want to put lucky. me down. You, you got I lucky. I, I, I never put you down, buddy. I, I get never it. Put you I down. get it. Not really put me down, but, you know, I get it. You want to take your jabs here and there, but I'm going to take them. I'm gonna take hey, you, I'm just telling you what God do, love, and that's the hey, truth. Hey, all I'm going to do, man, I can go upstairs, I go grab that gold jacket, you know what I mean? It ain't I go get that, I go you get know that what bling that, bling. You know what you that know gold what I mean? jacket ain't going to do? It ain't going to keep you dry in the rain. Uh, it ain't going to keep you warm in the cold. You know what hey, I'm saying? Hey, so, hey, it is what it is. Having that gold jacket, hey, that's almost like having white privilege, homeboy. <laughs> Ooh, that, we go, and we go speak on that white privilege that you do or do not have today on uh, Get Your Popcorn Ready podcast coming up with Chris Long, 11-year NFL vet, one of the first guys to take put his arm around players when they were taking a knee back in 2016 um, during the NFL season. So, again, he's an honest guy. He's a very opinionated guy, but again, I think his integrity and his character shows up every time he speaks via Twitter or in an interview, and I'm looking forward to having Chris Long on the show. Absolutely. Just add to that, just being, you know, kind of one of the first, if not the first, uh, one of the white players, you know, standing up uh, on behalf of, you know, what we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys, I can honestly say, he sees no color. Uh, he he, He sees humanity. Yep, that's good. Coming up, Chris Long, get your popcorn ready podcast. Check us out on the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. Uh, just go to YouTube uh, backslash Terrell Owens and uh, yeah, check us out. Yeet! Get your popcorn ready podcast coming up. Yeet! But yeah, I appreciate you coming on the Get Your Popcorn Ready podcast with Chris oh, Long today, man. Volume we up. we appreciate we go, you man. coming through, baby. No problem, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, like I said, 11-year NFL veteran. Again, we know you from not just playing on the field, of course, but you've done a lot of stuff off the field. Uh, you have your own podcast now, too, right? Is that correct? Yep, Greenlight Pod um, okay. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, we've had some good guests, too. You know, we got to get T.O. soon. Yeah, yeah, get, right. them on, get them on there. <laughs> hey, I'm right here, man. Let let me All know. Right. Green light, green light podcast, huh? That, that that the reason behind with the, the the green door back there. You know, you know what's funny, T, is that's just my favorite color. So everything in my life usually trends that way. But you know, this is uh, this is my office at home, and uh, okay. And this is good. This is nice paint here, T.O. This is not some shitty Benjamin Moore. This is like, this is okay. fine paints of England. So, yeah, no, green light pod just means it's everything's a green light on my show. Okay, okay. so is that is that Bear, that Sharon Williams? What kind of paint is that? that matte? Whatever, this is fine paints, fine paints of Europe, T. 
He went European on you, dog. You ain't ready for that. You ain't hey, ready. I'm very, hey, I'm the only versatile one on this show. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. You see what I'm saying, Chris? You have yeah, to know how you're going to do you? you yeah, it's right off the bat. It's off the bat. <laughs> All good. But no, we appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, we've uh, there's a lot going on in this world, of course. Like I said, you have, yeah. you have the COVID-19 situation. We, we have the protest situation. So before all of this stuff happened, like what was your regular day-to-day basis? And then we'll kind of get into that stuff. Man, you know, uh, football players, we don't sit still well. Um, And as much as I feared retirement the last couple of years, and I'm sure to you've been there where you're thinking about what's on the other side of this, this ledge after football, I never imagined my first year would have a pandemic where I had to sit at home for three months, which is something Hmm. I thought I was completely incapable of doing. Um, But I've actually loved it. I've loved being, you know, all all the bad things aside, I've loved being home with my family. I got two young boys. Uh, You know, we live in a small town, so it's kind of, they say it's unchanged down in town, but I don't even take a chance. I I stay my ass home like I'm supposed to. And, um, and uh, it's been good. You know, I've been churning out the podcast. I was doing five a week at first. And my wife was like, Hey, listen, I didn't marry a podcaster. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we're down to three a week. There you go. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I can dig it. So again, so like um again, you know, like so you retired in what 2018, 11 yeah. seasons in the, you know, in the NFL. So like so when I retired, it's just like, you know, I kind of got away from football. I didn't want to do nothing. Like so yeah. me and T, then we talked to a lot of other players on the show. And it's like, what was that first um, you know, like your reaction to I'm out of football. Now, what am I going to do? Do I sit home? Do I start the pot? Like, what was that transition like for the first couple months? Well, I always knew that I was, that I wasn't going to be able to sit still. And I'm, I'm always very goal oriented and, uh, and I like to work. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew I had to do something to stay busy. Now, like there's a football side to this thing, which is grappling with your, your ego and saying, right. Hey, the, the, the show goes on, no matter how great you are, the show goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad was a hall of famer, right. uh, you know, so I, I, I knew that from a young age that, you know, no matter what I'm doing in football, even having great years, winning Super Bowls, that sort of thing, getting individual accolades, eventually somebody's going to replace you. And, uh, so getting over that thing, watching your first fall of football, especially in my case, cause I knew I had a couple more years in me physically, but I just had enough. Mm-hmm watching people make plays and you're like, I can make those plays. Right. I can still do that. This you- is, yeah. So, so getting over that, but then also just committing to, okay, I'm going to dive into this podcast stuff with the same tenacity and work mm-hmm. ethic that I did and the same accountability that now I have a listenership and that's like the fans now where I used to be mm-hmm. like, if I don't get this workout in, I'm letting them down. If I don't mm-hmm. research shit, if I don't work hard, if I don't record some days, I don't feel like talking, but you do mm-hmm. it. Do you remember what you were doing and how old you were when your dad retired? Do you remember seeing like anything yeah. he was doing specifically? Because he went well, right he, into TV pretty he much, went, right? Yeah, he went right into TV. And TV really wasn't something I wanted to do because the whole mm-hmm. TV thing is you got to – you have to totally give up your autonomy. And I know it works for some guys, and these TV jobs are great. They pay good. But uh, I'm not a suit guy, and uh, I'm not mm-hmm. a guy that wants to be told, hey, this is how we want to talk about this today. And it just wouldn't have worked for me. So – Mm-hmm. My dad, that was the medium in 93 when he got out. Think of all the different mediums we have now as players. Wow. So, you know, he walked in on a whim and, and got a, a, an interview with Fox, and he was pretty good at it. So, you know, hadn't looked back. He's one of the few that have been on that crew the entire time. 
Yeah, that's crazy looking back. <laughs> now yeah. 93. Wow. Yeah. And he still looks the same, which is funny. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm going to get in here. I, you guys have, you know, delved into a, a few topics, but I'm going to give you the proper introduction that you need, Chris. You know, I'm going to give you what you need. You know, former defensive <laughs> end, former defensive end uh, founder of the Chris Long Foundation, two-time Super Bowl champion. Patriots. Yeah, Patriots <laughs> and the Philadelphia Eagles. And as you just mentioned, you know, obviously trying to transition and not really wanting to get into uh, uh, to TV. Uh, I know I'm um, on social media a lot. We've engaged in, in some yeah. of the same topics. You've been very vocal. Um, I didn't really know that about you because I, we didn't cross paths. But when I played, um, I kind of got labeled sort of like a villain. Um, and now I think people are embracing really kind of where I was at that time, I was very outspoken. Um, yeah. Now things that I did, uh, things that I did on the football that was kind of just looked uh, frowned upon. Um, you talk about my touchdown celebrations and obviously, again, people have portrayed me in a light that's, that's not so favorable. Uh, I've been very, very negative. But those things now I think has come full circle and thinking of, you know, talking on full circle, we'll get into the Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick thing. Mm. Uh, but just thinking about where I am in my career and kind of where guys are now in the football game is now, um, everything, like I said, that I was vilified for is now being embraced uh, in the National Football League. Um, so I guess now to kind of just pivot to uh, where we are now, especially yeah. the climate that we're in, um, thinking of, um, you know, uh, Colin, 2016, you, I think you were still playing at that time. Yeah, I was, um, yep. Mm -hmm. um, he took the knee. Uh, what, yep. was your, what, was your, what was your response to... Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess initially when he had done it and then obviously the speculation um, that went into it and obviously he had to go and kind of, kind of almost uh, hold a press conference to kind of, I guess, clarify yeah. why, he, why he knelt. And so obviously now we know why he knelt. A lot of, kind, a lot of people tried to put the flag at the forefront uh, of his peaceful protest. Yeah. What were your initial thoughts on that? Well, my first thought was because I hadn't heard Colin talking about that stuff before. Because in in twelve or in um in sixteen, you know, activism or players having big voices. I mean, we've tweeted about. See, I had Twitter in two thousand twelve, two thousand ten in St. Louis, and St. Louis is not a big market, so I've been saying shit my whole career. <laughs> and that's why, like, when I get to Philly, I'm like, oh, people care. Uh oh, like, right. you know, I got away with tweeting whatever I wanted, and I. I had been socially conscious and weighing in on different things, but you know, Colin wasn't a big presence on social media. So when he first spoke out, um, I, there was no background to seeing the knee. And when I first saw it, I was like, let me hear what he's talking about, you know, because that took balls, whatever he's talking about. And well, to your uh, point that you yeah. took I mean, that approach to kind of say, okay, let me hear what he has to yeah. say yeah. versus everybody. I mean, just attacking. Yeah. Him. That, and that's the, that's the problem. But you know, like for me, he, he was preaching to the choir as far as like there being a problem in policing in my eyes. I mean, I lived in, mm -hmm. I played in St. Louis, the first group that actually protested in this entire era. And this isn't to put them ahead of cap or anything. Cap's, Cap's reach has been huge, but Stedman Bailey, Kenny Britt, Tavon Austin, uh, mm -hmm. when Mike Brown was murdered, um, you know, back in whatever year it was, we sat through that whole thing. And and you could tell that week because there were a couple shootings that week, I believe. And and mm -hmm. we just could tell we were at this intersection where things were going to start to ratchet up now from a standpoint of consciousness. And like the country was starting to pay attention. 
Um, and, I, and I don't know what it was about Mike. I mean, it was definitely the fact that, you know, the, the visual of him laying in the street for hours, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, people seeing that and then the account. But I can remember in St. Louis seeing what, what happened to those guys when they protested and they ran out of the tunnel with their hands up. Mm-hmm. You know, the death threats, the, 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 the letters, the voicemails, the security guy would let me hear the, the voicemails. He's like, listen to this. Wow. And, you know, did you, did, you, did you guys talk about it in the locker room at all prior to that? Yeah, uh, we kind of knew it was coming. We knew they were doing something. Um, okay. But, you know, it wasn't as this was way more of a rogue action back then. I mean, right. people weren't right. doing any symbolic protests. And for those guys to run out in St. Louis, a Midwestern city, all that, it was it, it. I'd like to go back and see what everybody's reaction was then, because we <laughs> yeah. have, as you can see, from 2016 to now, it's all of a sudden everybody. Oh, I suddenly get it. Like, mm-hmm. what took you so long to suddenly get it? I mean, that's that's right. part of the problem. But with Colin, when it first happened, I was like, first, let me let me hear what he's talking about, because, you know, this is big. And if he if he can be a good messenger on this thing you know, he can really move the ball. And, you know, I, I, I know Nate Boyer really well. If you've seen Nate Boyer, the mm-hmm. Green Beret, that is a big mm-hmm. Niners fan, played in the NFL wow. briefly and was Texas Longhorn. Um, Colin reached out to him and said, you know, how can I be as respectful as possible? Mm-hmm. And, and Nate Boyer, Green Beret, the very person, the, the very ideological shield that people that do not want to see progress and change have, have thrown in front of Colin, it's about the military and the flag, is the one that told him, listen, maybe don't sit, take a knee uh, if you're going to do something, and that way you can show respect and get your point across too. Mm-hmm. And from there, and, it's just totally unraveled. And I don't think Colin feels like explaining that anymore. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, it's very apropos. He basically, get, Nate Boyer gave – Colin, the green light and so I think what do you think and just listening that you talking I didn't really know about those guys that uh, that went out and, and protested when you were in St. Louis why do you think that the reaction uh, wasn't as great as it was when Colin uh, made the protest because I I, I I briefly remember a little bit about it yeah. but it didn't really have the impact that that Colin Colin had. Well, again, I mean, and this is the thing, this is the very reason we're asking Drew Brees and those guys to stand up. The guy, the guys who can move mountains on a football field are quarterbacks. And here you have a quarterback, uh, a black quarterback, albeit, but a quarterback that's willing to stand up for uh, something like police brutality and, you know, the shortcomings of our criminal justice system and a greater conversation about equality um, and that sort of thing. This was a big deal. You know, Kenny Britt, Stedman Bailey, Tavon Austin, good players in the league, wide receivers, but for a small market team and a team mm-hmm. that was struggling. So, I mean, like, we, you, uh, you know, uh, the field could catch on fire in St. Louis and it wouldn't make fucking NFL live. Okay. So, you know, that's, <laughs> right, that's, right. that's what I lived through in St. Louis. So no matter what you did, nobody was going to know. Um, and so when Colin did it, it was a quarterback, it was a bigger name. And then he had um, a nice message that it just wasn't about Mike Brown. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't about, which was fine to just do it about Mike Brown. Hey, we went down to Ferguson. We walked around and, and took those protests in. Our D-line went down there. But this was a different time. Like, now there's so much company where everybody's like, you know, now there's so many voices that are saying, okay, we can talk about racism now. So everybody's safe mm-hmm. to talk about it. Those guys did mm-hmm. something really unsafe, as did Colin, as did players that right. protested in 2016. And now mm-hmm. they've made it so that, you know, the dam's broken and everybody's safe to talk about it which means words are not as important 
in 2020. We got to prove that we were we're all about it. Right. I I heard you mention Drew Brees. Um, Obviously, uh, I admire um, you. I know, like I said, I we've crossed paths, but I, I I admire the stance that you've made, and I've heard people you know, speak on, uh, about you, about you sort of like being the first like white person, uh, especially in the national football league to stand up. And as you mentioned, um, we need powerful voices. Uh, we need people, white people like yourself. And you mentioned, I got like Drew Brees. Why don't you think guys like, uh, your Peyton Manning's, your Tom Brady's, um, these guys, uh, again, in positions of power that can obviously help push the message, try to help push change. Why don't you think these guys are speaking up and I and then I'll add Jerry Jones in the mix as well yeah. because uh, Donald Trump basically when when uh, Colin did this in, in, in 2016 it was almost like he he ordered the owners um, to not resign Colin when all this yeah. stuff happened and for me to do that on that stage him being the president of the United States and then kind of you know kind of infiltrate uh, with the NFL for me that's systemic racism um, right. and then and then now everybody has basically harped on why or express their opinions as to why Jerry Jones hasn't said a peep since all this happened. And I know for a fact that when all this happened, when Donald Trump ordered, you know, all these owners, I guess, in his own little way, not to resign Colin and to, you know, basically uh, condemn uh, these guys that were in support of Colin and called them sons of bitches. And Jerry Jones, uh, owner of the Dallas Cowboys, one of the most uh, historic franchises and, and, and all of football, he hasn't said a word. Even when that happened, he mentioned to his player, he told his players, if you protest, you will not play. So why don't you, why, I mean, in your estimation, yeah. why isn't uh, more, more white guys uh, yeah. speaking up? <clears throat> well, I think in general, you touched on a few of the issues is first off, I mean, we have some big name white players that haven't said much about it. I thought J.J. Watt, that was big of him to say. He plays in Houston. I'm sure there's a lot of fans down there that don't want to hear from J.J. Watt, who's been like the mascot for all that is good about white America. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's a fan favorite. Uh, and he's a great player. So his power is evident when he speaks. I mean, he can move mountains. So somebody like J.J., who's commercially successful, who, who's got endorsements and that sort of thing, watch. You think anybody's going to like J.J. any less? Like, no, J- like people are going to listen to J.J. And if people don't want to hear the message, they're just going to they're going to tune it out like they always have. Right. And I, I think that's why, like, look at somebody like J.J. It's not like, his, you know, he spoke out on it. It's not like his career's over. It's not like people are going to. And right. that's the privilege of being a white player. So we need to use that. I mean, you know, and some of um, <clears throat> my peers that, that protested are not in the league. I do believe that, you know, if you protest or, or you know, speak about protests and, you know, favorably you might have a problem on your hands. You know, like mm-hmm. I was one of the first guys to talk at length in the league about approving Collins message, white, mm-hmm. especially white guy, but right. like I, it was important to me. Now, when I left St. Louis, I was team captain, you know, 40 sacks in four years, got hurt two years, ended up in new England. Okay. I got five, six teams knocking down my door before I go to new England. Right. And this is after two years of shitty injured tape. Mm-hmm. I leave New England after totally reviving my career and I don't get a single call. Mm. And in New England, I talked at length about Colin. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was the white voice you were hearing. OK, for mm-hmm. whatever that's worth. And I do believe that, you know, some teams are like if this guy's like with the protests or has publicly spoken out. Um, I never lost my job, you know, that, that sort of thing. But 
there's definitely been players that have been blackballed over this stuff. Right. And I think that is, I guess that's the elephant in the room, right? Because again, when I was with the Vikings, right, Denny Green was our head coach, right, back in the day. I personally think Denny Green would have probably took a knee and all of us would have took a knee, right? Mm -hmm. But 2020, somebody's going to have to do it so the whole team does it. Because like what you're saying, if the whole team does it, then they can't blackball you. You you see what I'm saying? But they can, if it's one or two guys here or there, 10 guys, 15. And I think that now that's 2020, I think that cannot be the case. I mean, even today, Bill O'Brien came out and said, Houston Tech, and said he's going to take a knee with his team. Yeah. If he does that. It's been more normalized. And that's that's the point of like being the guy. It's like Carson Wentz, you know, and T, you pay attention to stuff because you're, you, you know, you're plugged in with Philly. Carson Wentz, who I had no idea would do this. I, I I know he's not a racist. I know he's he's a good man. But in a time like this, not enough to not be racist. You got to be anti-racist. So he's mm. uh, he's Amen. a real Christian, right? And he he doesn't hide behind his faith. He leans into all the good things about his faith, and he delivers a message where he specifically calls out systemic racism, which is a big fucking deal for a white quarterback from South Dakota with five Labrador retrievers who hangs out in a duck blind most of his day (laughs) to come out and make that statement. So the point is that this is something where you build and build and build on momentum. And now it's more normal in 2020. In 16, we had the luxury of saying Malcolm Jenkins put his fist up and I would protest with him. But we had the luxury of saying and different players had the luxury of saying, well, there's more ways than one to get the point across. And like, it's about the work you do too. We support Colin taking a knees, how he wants to do it. This guy wants to protest this way. I think this year it's going to be, and I, and if I, you know, if I was still playing, I'm sure I'd be hearing these conversations in the locker room. If we do something, we got to do it all together. All together. Yeah. Because if you, if you talk about just the black players, let's say, right. If it was the, there's 10, the top 10 quarterbacks right now, Five are black, right? Five are African-American. You got Dak, you got Mahomes, you got Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. If all of them took a knee, you can't, like I said, you can't cut them. You can't, (laughs) the NFL, you're just going to be mad. But more importantly than for that to happen, the whole team has to follow. Don't just let him go through that experiment by himself. Because Colin Kaepernick was the experiment. And for Colin, it didn't work. But for the world, it did work a little bit if it's too, if we can say, okay, yeah, it was, took four years for it to work. Well, listen, I think the big thing about Colin is it's two, it's twofold. I had one person on Twitter ask me when I tweeted about Colin in the, in the heat of this thing. He said, this is 11 o'clock on a Wednesday in June, mm-hmm. 2020, four years after the fact. Chris, do you think that Colin picked the right time in the game to get his message across and to raise awareness? And I said to the dude, I go, hmm. guy, you were asking me about Colin Kaepernick four years after the fact right. on a Wednesday night in June in the summer mm-hmm. when there's no sports. What do you think? I think the awareness piece worked. I think the, the listening part is what didn't work. So right. I, think, I, I think that's the biggest thing. He has moved the ball forward. He's made it so mm-hmm. this thing can bust wide open and different leaders mm-hmm. can emerge. I mean, mm-hmm. this is... He, he did a great thing. Yeah, because that, that's what kind of me and T are talking about. Again, it's it's not about just, you know, black people talking about racism now. It's black yeah, right. and white talking about it together. It's like, as long as the conversation is happening, I think that's a plus. You look at 2020 protest uh, compared to a 1970 or 1960, 1992 protest. That was, those were 95% African-American. 
2020 protests, it was 50-50, if not more white than, than African-American yeah. protests. Yeah, out in the, yeah the, the peaceful protests and all that. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it does warm my heart to see that. Like, I hate. Absolutely. You're so cynical at this point. You know, and maybe there's no cynicism among people that just arrived at the conclusion like three weekends ago that there's racism in the United States. <laughs> the shocker, knew, right? The yeah, shocker. Yeah, but for people, that, for people that knew it, um, you can be so cynical that everything's an okie doke and everything's like, and everything's like, I don't even want to remark on the fact that I'm hopeful right now, but I do feel some hope, and hope mm-hmm. is so dangerous, you know. Uh, uh, right, right. But but at the same time, I mean, seeing all those different faces out there. Um, seeing people from every different walk countries. Oh, it's amazing. You can't tell it's- me there aren't a number of people in this country, white people that care about this thing. We just have to make our voices louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- absolutely. And to Hatch's point, it's just not it's just not a majority of one race talking about it. This is a multitude of, of, of ethnic, ethnic backgrounds um, that are discussing this topic. It's white, black, it's Hispanics. Um, and whatever races, Asians, um, European, they're over there in Germany and like protesting thousands upon thousands, thousands and thousands. I mean, I get chills and I've gotten chills. I I love it. I love it. I've gotten chills just watching and I've been on social media like, bro, I've been so sleep deprived because this since this happened, bro, I have been so sleep deprived just finding myself sometimes like mad, sad, like yeah. just angry, um, just a, a, a roller coaster of emotions. I'm, yeah. I'm scrolling through, strolling, scrolling through like different, just uh, social media, media platforms. And bro, I'm like, I'm talking about two, three, four o'clock in the morning. I'm talking to people. I'm in, I was in Florida at one point. I'm, I'm in LA right now. I'm talking to people here on the West coast. I'm talking at my time. It's six o'clock in the morning. We're yeah. talking about this very issue, man. And it's, and it's and it's and it's so alarming and kind of surprising too that I've talked to some of my white friends and as you mentioned to uh, uh, Chris about you know this has been an eye opener for uh, for everybody and then I think some of the white people that have now started to acknowledge that there is racism is a shock to me because again <laughs> it's something that never. Was but but do you do you believe that though? Do you do you believe when a white person says, oh, "I didn't know there"? Do, so do you I, believe I think, that statement out of their mouth? I think the, I think there's two things. I do believe first and foremost, I think that the kitchen was too hot. Let's just say that. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't. You. It'd be perfectly acceptable if you were just honest with me and said, "I didn't just realize this. You know what? I wish I spoke up, but I was afraid." And I didn't there know you how go. to talk about there it. There you have because, it. Because you know what? If you're authentic about this thing in this conversation and you don't have any hate in your heart and, and you are a loving, caring person who's empathetic, that'll come through. Just say, mm-hmm. you know what? In 2016, there were barely any players talking about it. And, right. and I was afraid. And also it's a minefield because I don't want to say like, you know, you when you're white, you can't say certain things like, I know how you feel. Like, you know, like right, you know, right. <laughs> white people are like, uh, what do I do? But then there's also people that are hiding behind that. They don't really care. They post mm-hmm. a black square and then the next day they're back to not giving a shit. And then there, I really do believe that there's white people that, that because our society is so segregated mm-hmm. and not everybody lives in a locker room and plays in a locker room with 
meeting people from different walks of life and that sort of thing. I can't speak on what that's like to not be like that. You know, my dad lived that life. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I got to live that life. I'm lucky. But there's a number of people who live in white neighborhoods who don't interface with any black mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. so they also don't see racism because if you live in a, in a, in a, in a, in on your street, if the police serve and protect and they're not pulling you over with bias and harassing mm-hmm. you, then you yeah. think the police are there to serve and protect. So sometimes Absolutely. you have to have a big awakening, I think. So I want, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that because, I mean, you, you're fair, right? You're, you're fair. You speak out. You have a presence of this honesty. Where did this all come from? Because, of course, you're, 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 you're an adult now. You're a grown man. Yeah. But it didn't just start. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. where did this all come from? Uh, from I, your I, I would, before you go there, Hatch, I think, obviously, before Chris says anything, I will probably bet that it probably has something to do with his upbringing, the way he was of raised. Of course, yeah. Because yeah, when right. you think about, because I, like I said, I, I think, Hatch, I think I've told you this before. Like I was confronted uh, some years, probably like my, within my first two or three years uh, in the league and I went back home. You know, I stayed with my grandmother. And so I was the biggest thing to come out of out of my my, uh, my city. And so I was at this it little- Must have been a small time. city. Yeah, yeah. It's a, so I was at this diner, and so I'm at the bar, and so wasn't a lot of people in there. But I I noticed to my left there was a, in a booth uh, uh, a father and he had his kid in his in uh, in the booth with him. So they were getting ready to leave, and so he approached me, and I was in San Francisco at the time, and he had his kid in his in his arms, and uh, he was basically just speaking to the kid. The kid had to be no more like maybe five, four or five, and. And he goes, I can't. He, whatever he announced, uh, uh, addressed the kid's name. He goes, Yo, this is uh, this is Terrell Owens. He played here at, at Benjamin Russell. He's uh, he's playing with the San Francisco 49ers right now. Uh, he's he's playing in the NFL. So the kid was like, Who that nigger right there? What? And bro, wow. None of, this this is dead yeah. honest, bro. This is yeah. dead Al- dead honest. Alabama. <laughs> right. It's uh, I I written a book and it, it I put it in the book. And so for me, I I honestly I. Being in the South, I had heard my grandmother and people talk about racism, this and that and the other, and how whites feel and this and that. And so I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to react. And so I, I can't exactly remember what I, what I did. And really, I can't remember what the dad said, but I think he just basically tried to tell the kid, no, don't say stuff like that or what have you. But mm-hmm. I didn't, in that moment, Chris and, and Hatch, I didn't get mad at the kid. There was no way I could get right. mad at the kid it's because I was so... I was so aware at that time. I'm like, I can't be mad at this kid because this kid is the product of his environment. So right. he obviously had to have been heard hearing somewhere. This. this kid is like four or five. Yeah. Also, so also, is, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So you, you have to understand, like, when you talk about racism and, and, and how you think some white people may be racist or the, why they aren't, I think their upbringing, the way that they're brought up has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think what's wild is that also in that story, just like what jumps out at me is not only is that absurd and, you know, I think the further south you go, it's just more thinly veiled. I mean, people that think there's no racism in the north or whatever, but I it's crazy to me that whoever taught him that if it was his dad or if it was somebody close to him, presumably would have run you down for an autograph. Mm. But yet refers to people that look like you with that word. Mm. That's crazy. Right, but, that, but, but that's how the thing. Can you, how can you, do, and that's the whole thing about 
like loving black culture and not loving black people or loving black athletes and not loving black people. And that's the most frustrating thing that these fans Mm. will sit there and, and, and watch and wear your Jersey and that sort of thing. And it's disappointing to think that they don't look at my teammates, you know, uh, well, um, I want to go back because I, like I said, I've been so engaged, um, on social media and I just didn't want to be, uh, kind of at the forefront just on social media. So I've kind of just, you know, immerse uh, myself, you know, I guess you want to say on the front lines, I, I left, I got a message from a couple of people uh, out here in Los Angeles and they asked me about, you know, obviously uh, contributing uh, to the cause or what have you. And I literally, I, I booked a flight like two or three o'clock in the morning, jumped on a 7 a.m. flight, um, drove straight to a, a protest that they had right outside the forum, I think around like 1130 or 12. And then they had a big one, uh, bigger one um around noon um that was at the pan pacific park and so west hollywood and so um i left the one at the forum and so i was going home and so i texted the girl and i'm like yo it's like are you guys still there she goes yeah and so me and my friend we drove uh drove to west kind of like a rest uh, west hollywood pan pacific park where near melrose and so we got out of the car and i really honestly i didn't know what to expect and so this one was for brianna taylor um, obviously, the, the the girl that got shot by the officers, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, got shot eight times uh, in the chest area. Um, went in with a no knock warrant, and yeah, she was one of those essential workers. And I, uh, me and my friend, we approached the back of the park, and dude, I had no idea what I was getting into when I walked around that corner, bro. It was, it was like I saw like thousands and thousands of people and they had one little stand with a megaphone addressing all those people bro i bro i dude i instantly bro i was like yo this is a movement mm-hmm. like it gave me chills just to sit there from afar and i walked a little bit closer till i got to to the stand and bro it was i was a, i was so amazed it was so many white people out there bro mm-hmm. protesting being allies understanding or trying to understand in support of what we've been talking about for 400 plus years. And I thought that was such a remarkable moment. And for me, it wasn't, I didn't see it as a white and black thing. I saw it as a human race. It was a together thing. And I think being a part of that one. And then I just did a, I just did one with, uh, I did a March for Colin Kaepernick um, um, just yesterday. That, that in itself, man, is, is, it's very, it was an eerie feeling, but it tells you and it shows you that change is kind of around the corner because yeah. we've already mentioned it. This is, this is just not great. This is just not a regional thing. This is just not a U.S. thing. This is a global thing. Uh, and I think it has caught wildfire around the country that um, people are making changes as it relates to social injustice, police brutality, and just equality for the black race uh, across the country. And so I know you, we, we talked about earlier and it brought me back to something because like I said, it was, you know, you start talking about black, white, this, and that, and the other. We all can bring up examples of, you know, what we feel like, you know, there was, you know, discrimination or it could have been racism here and there. But you mentioned, Chris, that you took like a, you were kind of, you two years, you were kind of non-productive and you mm-hmm. probably didn't think that you would get another job. Mm-hmm. So I've been in defense of Colin Kaepernick, you know, since the whole initial protest and now that i've been on the forefront and 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 really being an advocate that 
the NFL owes him an apology. And I, I quite frankly, I feel like they owe him an opportunity uh, yeah. to get back into the league. And yeah. a lot of these fans are like, oh, he was terrible his last year, this and that and the other. Uh, he can't do this. He can't do that. He's washed up. And it brings me back to your point. Because do you, I ain't going to say, I'm not going to ask you, do you think? I know probably it's a fact that you said you were non-productive for two years. Yeah. Probably didn't think you would get another job, but you did. Yeah. Colin, he's black. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about his one last year or whatever, where he was non-productive right. or what have you. He still hasn't gotten a job. Yeah. Do you think yeah. in the sense that it obviously it was it's race related? Oh yeah, I mean, like it's definitely message. It's definitely message related. There's no, there's no way. Um, there's no to me. There's no way it has nothing to do with with what he did. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's. It's like it's at this point, uh, four years in. It's like I'm not even going to try to argue with some people because <laughs> no. they just right. every argument. So I've kind of like stopped being in the weeds on trying to prove that a guy that I played on the football field that I hit in 2016 that I rushed. <laughs> and I saw and prepared for on a very bad San Francisco team who, if anything, was unspectacular quarterback that year. And really the bad year, the year before that, he was bad. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was the bad year. 16, he was trending back up mm-hmm. and right. the team was bad, but he wasn't throwing a bunch of picks. You know, the problem was not him. And, right. and people love to ignore context when it comes to certain quarterbacks. They don't want to give the benefit of the doubt, but then on the other end of things, they give some quarterbacks every chance. And absolutely. And, and so I, I, it, it was just too clear to me. And that's not to say that every player that has knelt has been blackballed. There's <laughs> right. a big difference though, between my buddy, Mike Bennett taking a knee who, although is a, arguably a star in the NFL is not a quarterback. Mm. You can't have the face of the franchise. These, these Doing guys it. are thinking, mm-hmm. you know, kneeling. And that, I think that's why he was, he was shown the door and has not yeah. been let back in. Well, yeah, I, I, it also point. has a lot to do with him being the first. I think I think it's I mean, it's the the life that we live is you're, if you're oh, the first course, yeah. one that's going to step out, you're going to get slaughtered. But over time, then that helped out. But yeah. again, is it too late for cap? You know, I mean, nobody knows. Um, but for the just for the I, I don't think so. I know this guy. I know this well, guy. I know this guy right here. He's always he has been a <laughs> cap fan. And uh, I know we talk about down years. We've all kind of had some down years. Yeah. I don't know about me. I don't think I've had any down years. That yeah, guy yeah, right you, there. You had, yeah, yeah, you yeah, had down years. That yeah, guy yeah. right there. You're, ha- you're having a down year right now. Hey, stop know. trying to be related, <laughs> man. <laughs> hey, that guy right well, there, he's had, a, he's, a, he's had a number of bad years, but we're not going to talk about Hey, they were, all, they, were all, they were all good years. I just didn't have no numbers to show <laughs> <Yeah>. for it. <laughs> but to me, I had a good year. But right, no, right. With, with, the, with the cap thing, I just don't want them to give cap a job. And say, we gave him a job. We're doing you a favor. So all you all shut up now. I think it's bigger than that. I think it's something to for Cap to be an ambassador of the NFL, uh, Cap to be an ambassador for 32 NFL cities and start a coalition. I think things like that are bigger and they'll live longer. Because if, yeah. if what the NFL did yesterday, give us $250 million for what? If yeah. you want to give somebody money, you give Cap. $10 million a year, let him put together a team of 10 more people and you guys go in the communities of 32 NFL cities and you guys can start moving the needle talking about um, 
social social injustice. Like that yeah. to me will move the needle. Not I think, in a backup on the Baltimore well, I, Ravens. I think too I, it, it, yeah. it all boils down to if Cap really wants to play uh as well. Um but again, I think if you look at every division, he's better, if not as good as that's not the, that's Taylor. not even the point no more. To me, that's not the point no more. Right. But the thing is, we feel like he was stripped of an opportunity to further his further along his career. Uh, because as Chris said, he was he was sort of trending. Like I said, there's gonna be a little dip here and there, but once this nil uh, this protest happened again. They basically just stripped him of his livelihood, and that's what I say. If he if he's willing again, like I said, to be given an opportunity, yeah, not just put him on a squad. Like yeah, if he wants, to, but he's, he's not going to be a starter. That, I mean, he's right, not going to come in as a starter, workout, right? Even the workout that he had that wasn't even fair. They tried to railroad him with that with that workout. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I think he's certainly capable of playing the league, and you know there is a side of it where you look at it and like. Well, let's not if you're if you're trying to pick a place for cap, let's not just throw him somewhere where he has no shot to compete. And they're going to then then it's going to be one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. So the whole playbook here is I don't know if this is the playbook, but you let a guy who who wasn't playing great ball. He was a bottom 10 quarterback. If he was in the low 20s, that still means he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He wasn't playing great, but you take a guy out for four years. And then you drop him back in when it's like, oh, we get it now. Right. But then, you know, the absence of four years becomes a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. He's rusty. Yeah, He's but, been yeah. out of the game. And Absolutely. and when you're behind the eight ball trying to climb a depth chart, it's way different. So I, I think it's risky, you know, because then they could do the, hey, we checked that box. We don't care anymore. And, and I don't, don't think anymore. that the money's a bad thing. I think that the money has to be paired with an acknowledgement, though. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the whole point. Because right. Players Coalition – you know, I've been a part of it before. You know, I, I do a lot of work with Players Coalition. They do good work. Malk does good work. There's plenty of room for everybody in this whole thing. It was. It should have never been like this guy or this guy. It should always be like, let's all tackle this together. And Cap has to be a part of the conversation. And he has to be in a leadership role. Yeah. And again, I think he, he needs to be in that NFL office in a leadership role and give him a specific – a specific lane to be in. And I think that will answer a lot of the questions that were like, what are you going to do NFL? Because as you know, in America, all we do is we throw money at the situation and people go away. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think this is that. I think it's something bigger than that. I think it's something needed more in our community. That's going to move the needle for the next five to 10 years rather than like this old three month process that we're in right now. You got to keep the pressure on man. It's yeah, not absolutely. like, you know, like the pressure is what's making things change. It's not money. You know, it's right. not pressure, people in the streets, peacefully protesting, you know, being heard like, you know, and then also this whole thing, I believe the best thing that's come out of this. And even with the Donald Trump thing, mm-hmm. good thing that the saving grace on this thing is it's driven out all the people who are just pieces of shit about this stuff because they feel <laughs> by they feel emboldened by that guy in office. And they also feel like th- there's nowhere to hide right now. The last couple of weeks, if you're a corporation, if you're right. a coach, if you're a, if you're a player, like we see you. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's actually a, it's a good thing, you know. And and you know, uh, addition by subtraction with some people and some entities. Yeah. What um what efforts are you making? Uh, I guess I would say to uh you know to some of the the white players um to to try to I mean again. Um, be pillars as, as as you are to kind of speak out. Um, some of those guys that may be straddling the fence, uh, maybe yeah. they're, you know, have you reached out to, you know, again, some of these white uh, players that are in positions of power 
uh, yeah. to can maybe kind of gauge their temperature on how they feel about possibly standing, um, standing with you, with yeah. us um, in this fight. Well, I got it. I got it. You know, I, usually the way I do it is, and I, you know how locker rooms are guys. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of great conversations happen because people feel safe having them and mm-hmm. they trust each other. And that's another thing about integration and knowing each other. And like a lot more good conversations can have if we know each other and we operate together. So I think that like, I've had plenty of good convos with guys over the last four years when they've kind of been like, Hey, how do you, how do you navigate this? How did you first talk about this? Like, what do you say? What do you don't say? And these are real well-intentioned, good questions. And uh, I have them too. And I ask my friends, but you know, in a time like this, I can give white players a little bit of advice on, you know, how to go about it from, from my perspective. But I'm also like, Hey, call one of your black teammates, Uh, you know, Yep, have uh, the conversation. Yep. Yeah, you know, uh, they're not going to like, they're not going to run you off the phone or yell at you. <laughs> right. Like, like, it's not on the other side of this thing. Once you become a part of this, it's not like, you know, people radicalize you. People are literally fighting for quality. This is not, this yeah. is not a radical concept. Uh, right. You know, so I think when players ask me, I share with them my perspective, but also, um, I think in general, I'm like, you know, maybe I can't answer all your questions. You have to go educate yourself. And I think one of the biggest things that guys have stepped out, like a Carson Wentz, I'm like, you need to read. You need to educate yourself. So there's no cognitive dissonance when you go out in the world and you're arguing with people or discussing things with people and you're trying to pass your knowledge on and normalize what you know. You Mm -hmm. have to be armed with, like, at least the knowledge that you can prove your point. So I think that, like, educating yourself, and not being afraid to step out. And I have reached out to some people because I have a podcast like like y'all. So cool. I'll tell guys, I'm like, listen, this is going to be a safe place for you to talk about race and racism. Yep. If you want to yep. talk about it for the first time, call me, man. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll set it up and, and you can make your statement and I'm not going to fuck you over on it. If you miss right. a word, we can have somebody listen to it to make sure it's going to come across right because these are concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just I, I love the honesty and the you know it's just like the people don't under, yeah the people don't understand it's okay to talk yeah. <laughs> they really don't understand that concept it's okay to talk to each other we don't even have to agree with each other but we can still right. talk to each other it's like I think that's the problem part is of most it. people consume this conversation on Twitter right and, yeah and, and <laughs> Twitter is a war zone man like and oh I, yeah I swear to you like. People imagine this conversation being just such a an uncomfortable thing, and it can be. It should be like this whole thing. But also, like, if you have friends, they're not gonna. They're, they're not. No. They want to help. They want to help you understand. Like, I know it's not y'all's job to help me understand as a white guy, but there's gonna be questions that I need to ask. So, like, why Absolutely. not just call a friend? They're not gonna, you know, kill you over it. It's all good, dude. Right. There, I there. think that's. Uh, uh, speaking of that, um, I think is that what you feel uh, that Drew Brees did after. Uh, the statement that he made, you know, putting, you know, making it about the flag um, and not really addressing the issues at hand, um, kind of being insensitive to uh, kind of like the climate that we're in. Um, Again, it was like an apology on top of an apology, then followed by uh, a a post addressed to the, to the, to the president. Yeah. I, you know what I was, when I first saw Drew do that, it disappointed me. And I talked about it on my pod um, it's not my place to give forgiveness on something like this. People will ask me like, well, when is Drew Brees, when is Drew Brees forgiven? I'm like, I don't know. Don't ask me. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think, I think what, what Drew did that was disappointing was 
he you could hear it in people's voices and anger is like love disappointed right it's one of the truest right. things so what happened when the kid and i can't even jake from sent mm. a really racist right. message yep. nobody gave a shit because nobody cares about jake from just right. any young player in the league that doesn't have a long future, there wasn't that visceral reaction. You know why people were so mad about Drew Brees? Because he's Superman. And everybody was like, Drew Brees lifted, you know, a diverse city out of Katrina. Spent almost 20 years in locker rooms with guys, supposedly having conversations, including four after cap, where I know we've talked about this. You know, has worked on, on causes that, you know, he's worked with people that don't look like him. And if that Superman doesn't get it, then Then it's disheartening. It's really disheartening. I I even felt like kind of like, damn, dude, because every time I meet Drew Brees, he's one of those guys that you're just like, I fucking trust that guy. Right, right. Right, right. It's almost like, yeah, your your leader portrayed you. But But I think what he missed was what everybody's saying is, and this is what everybody has fucked up that's so defensive about being white, is you can like the flag. That's right. not the problem. That's not, the, that's not even the problem. The issue was that <laughs> right. you're not going to get run out of the league. And by the way, Drew hasn't had to really hasn't been punished. So it's not like we're living in some communist country, right? Like which you also want to make it out to be when you're like, well, Drew Brees says one thing, and look at what happened to him. Like, no, people used their freedom of speech, and so did he. Right, right. And they disapproved of the fact that he led with his his and only his perspective about what the flag is, and yeah. that was where he he fucked up was because he started with using the word disrespect when it was never about the military mm-hmm. and then being like, this is what the flag means to me. Well, Drew, no shit. Right. But like <laughs> what you're saying is that your perspective is more important than everybody else's. And there's only one perspective to have, which is totally bullshit. Right. But I think he can redeem himself. Right. I mean, if you guys were teammates, him, I don't know. It's not for me to say. Well, again, I think he's I've talked to the whole team. They had a team meeting via Zoom the next day. And a lot of his teammates from Cameron Jordan and Michael Thomas, they came out and said, I believe you. Right. I believe his perspective. It, w- it was what it was. Now he's apologized and he sees it our way. And maybe it took that slip up for him to see it, you know, the correct way. And that's again, you have to take the good out of it. And I think that's a, it's a plus at the end of the day. At Jupiter. the end of the day, he might be turned into a voice for good just because it, because he's been like, and also an example, like if you're going to talk about this thing, people watching, like say something and say something that you've sat and thought about, because I thought one of the most disappointing things was, and you guys know this, if you're getting a big name like Drew Brees to do a Yahoo interview, Drew Brees knows that he's going to be asked about that. It's the middle of the pandemic. You haven't done an interview in months that I've seen. What do you think yeah. they're going to ask you about? So you had time to formulate that. Prepare, and, and, yeah. and so that was the disappointing. That's why, yeah. to me, it was like, I get why people are really mad because it's not like he just stumbled. I mean, he right. just fucked this up. But I still do believe that we're a very forgiving country. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily, and this is the problem. I don't think Drew's a racist. I know Drew's. I, I, I got to know right. Drew's not a racist. I can't, right. I can't say for sure about anybody. But I think one of the biggest problems is, again, it's not enough to just not be racist. You have to actually have some fucking nuts right now and stand up for guys that you've been in locker rooms with for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I love how you say that's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. That's a great, that's a great saying. Well, Hey, Chris Long, we appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Like I said, Thanks, I appreciate your honesty and your candidness. And it's like, again, it's a, it's a uh, breath of fresh air to get your perspective and people can understand it's not really a white or black thing. It's just not, you know, like I said, it's about humanity, about equality. And there's all these 
when they say good apple versus bad apple, like, no, we're just trying to bring everybody together. And that's kind of what it's about. Yeah, and man. Absolutely. If you're white and listening, man, like it's not that scary to just admit. Right. Like, you're not gonna, <laughs> nobody's going to be like, you're not an asshole because you admit something like this or you talk to people. So it's, it's my pleasure, guys. All right, oh, man. man, it's been uh, it's been definitely a pleasure. And definitely for all the people that are out there listening, I don't need to give you guys the green light to check out this guy, Chris Long's uh, uh, <laughs> podcast, podcast, Green Light Podcast, hosted by none other than himself. Um, definitely a very introspective uh, individual, um, very candid, transparent. He's going to give it to you uh, how it is. And that's what we like. And that's what we need. We need more people uh, like Chris Long. And I, again, sure. just like Hash, we appreciate you, you know, just providing your time. Again, like I said, this is definitely a, a, a time and a climate where I think everybody's attention span is kind of all over the place, uh, all over the place, being pulled in different directions. Mm-hmm. I know for me, even just with me, just standing, uh, being at the forefront, because I, as I tried to allude to earlier, I didn't want to just I, I was so inundated with my phone and just on different social media platforms. And I'm seeing all these protests and I'm seeing everything happening, especially the first couple of days, you know, you are seeing the looting, the rioting, yeah. um, the, the protesting. Um, There's so many like, you know, conspiracy theories that were thrown out there when the, you know, when people watched him die, then they were kind of dissecting um, when the medic came and saying that, you know, the medics weren't medics and uh, they, it was improper on how they got him on the stretcher that I heard people say, Oh, he, he's not dead. All types of stuff. It was a stunt. So much stuff uh, swirling around this whole thing. And for me, I realized that I really, I, when I first saw it and I still haven't seen the whole 10 minute clip of it. And I, but I know the guy was on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I saw probably three to five minutes of it. I saw it the next day after he had died. So I knew he had died. So I didn't watch the entirety of the, the video. But as I watched the first three to four or five minutes, I, I couldn't take myself to watch the end. I just yeah. kind of just fast forwarded. And then I saw I saw toward the end like he was lifeless. I, I was like, this is this is unbelievable. Like you said, it was just, it's absurd to kind of see this unfold before your very eyes. And I think that what seeing somebody die just it's almost like it was it's almost like normal. a movie right it's, it's, it's too normal now it's become too <laughs> right. normal and did you see dave's thing last night i saw that a powerful no, bro, he, so nailed it. he nailed it he's talking about the most scared he's ever been in his life just over an earthquake and he thought he was gonna die and he said that was a 30 second experience i have all these thoughts with 30 seconds for eight and a half plus minutes and um, it's sad, man. It's it's sad, but I got yeah, hope. Yeah, I think. I hope. Yeah, and I think what really I think brought, uh, especially a lot of white people. I think white moms around is the fact that, and I've heard it from different people, especially like mothers of color. The fact that he was on his last breath, and he was saying, "I can't breathe," and he was calling out to his mom that that's no longer living. Um, I think that touched, and I think it pulled at a lot of people's heart. And for me, I went to the funeral and Eric Garner's family was there. Ahmaud Arbery's family was there. Um, I think um, Mike Brown's family was there, bro. And to listen to George Floyd's niece speak, bro, I, it, I, was, I was taken into tears. I was brought to tears because, and even one of his sisters basically said, he goes, man, he was, he was her real life Superman. Mm. And to just to hear them describe just to, just the the human that he was, 
And then opposed to some of these people that are attacking him because of his past criminal activity, as if that was a reason for him to die. Dude, it, it, it brought me to a place to where I was more motivated. I was more inspired to do what I'm doing now. And like I said, I don't, I'm never one to try to hide behind anything. I've always been a person that kind of believed in what I believe in and I stood, it stood for it and I stand in my truth. And even with Colin Kaepernick standing in his truth and everything coming full circle now to this, where we are now, it is, uh, it's, it's been gut wrenching, but I, I definitely feel that change is around the corner. And again, we appreciate you, Chris, for coming on because again, we need more people um, like yourself like you. and more that we can get you guys uh, and more, more white people to kind of be allies and just, you know, like I said, we understand that all lives matter, but at this state of uh, where we are now, depend, you know, as it relates to the history. Wait, I, I need another, I need another uh, analogy to feed to people that say all lives matter. Have you heard all of them? Have you heard all the good ones? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there, I there's a lot. <laughs> like, like, like if you were, if there was a breast cancer benefit and somebody busted in the door and interrupted the keynote speech and said, all cancers matter, right. it would be run out of the building. Absolutely. I mean, right. and the only way that works perfectly is if breast cancer was criminally underfunded as a, as a research uh, project. Right. So right. It's yeah, like, man. anyways. There again, there, yeah, there are so many analogies. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it just kind of puts everything in perspective. Um, yeah. But you know, where we are, we're at this point in time, black lives do matter. And I think just a just a visual and I think quarantine happening and I think everybody being in their homes and they happen to witness this. That brought so much exposure. And I think it brought brought to light really kind of what we as the black race have been saying for so for so long. And I think everything like my grandmother told me, like everything. And it, for me, it's such a tragedy that this had to happen. But God don't make mistakes. And so, uh, again, he has been a, a, a sacrifice for so many. And he's going to go down in history. Um, you think about what he's done. Like, there are people that, that the pastor said it. He was a humble being, human being that lived in the third ward where only people in that community and his family knew of him. This guy is known worldwide. Yeah, I mean, they even gave a speech to where the, I guess uh, the president of Ghana, basically they, what has happened, he will be etched in stone. Um, they, they put something together to as a, uh, a remembrance of George uh, Floyd, because, again, this is a, a big turning point in, in, in our history. And it, it's been remarkable. It's been amazing. Um, again, we still have a long way to go. But again, it's going to take everybody's uh Efforts and again, Chris, I can't thank you enough. I know I've said it, you know, a couple of times now, but I, well, I appreciate you coming yeah. on. And, um, Thanks for and having me. Time for All right, us. thanks yep. for having me. Appreciate it, Chris. Man, you stay healthy. You stay appreciate safe you, out there, brother. Get your okay. popcorn ready. Podcast with Chris Long, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. See you guys, thanks, man. All right, brother. Thanks, T. Thanks, guys. All right, no doubt. So that was a that was a good show, man. Uh, Chris Long. Again, character, integrity, all of those things, uh, I put them up there. Like I said, I've, I've, had, I've talked to a lot of people, especially a lot of ex-players, and we just don't have that vulnerability that he has to be honest and say, this is who I am, and I'm not, a, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to be this person every single day, and I, I just commend him for it. Very relatable guy. Reminds me of myself. No, you're not relatable. No, not, a, not at all. 
What? <laughs> the things that you just mentioned? Did you listen uh, to those adjectives that you said? You character, your no character, zero integrity, zero transparency, a hundred million. What? You're you have transparency. You I wish I could see through you instead of seeing your face. Hey, but man. yes. So I <laughs> Chris yeah, Long was he, a great hey, guest is, on the show. He's white and I'm black. We just, you know what I mean? Two, one of two a kind. Peas in two a pod. Of a kind. <laughs> two hey, peas we're two of a kind, Hatch. Hey, y'all go be that. Y'all go be that. Hey, let's talk about uh, the three and out. Or here's our three and out segment with, uh, with right. Chris Long. Um, I think one of the biggest things I took away from today's show is when he said it's not enough to not be racist. In today's climate, you have to be anti-racist. And I just stuck with me because, you know, so many people out there, like they say, well, I'm doing OK. And I'm well, I'm not, you know, calling him the N word. So I'm not racist. Like, no, you need right. to be anti-racist. You see something out there. You need to talk about it, have the right. conversation and kind of move it, move the needle forward yourself. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of like when you go in, you're into the airport and obviously with all this terrorist stuff that has happened. It's kind of like that 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 slogan uh, that they have in the airport. If you see something. Say something. something. Yes. You, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I definitely get that. Um, yeah. my, I guess one of my, my takes would be is kind of the lack of media coverage. Again, I, what did mm. he say? Was it back in 2012? Around there, yeah, when the Rams. When he was Rams. with uh, the, the, the Rams at the time. So they were still the St. Louis, Louis Rams, yeah. Right. And so, and so uh, yeah, when Kenny Britt and, and Tavon uh, Austin, um, yep. they came out of the tunnel with their fist uh, in the air, yep. um, I guess, in protest of some of the, the, the murders that had happened there. Um, I, again, obviously, we, we talk about just the time period and climate of where we are, obviously that was eight years ago. Um, mm-hmm. That didn't get nearly as much Zero. media coverage um, as we are having now yeah. with, uh, again, if you think about around 2012, you think four years later um, when, when uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, yeah. yeah, he takes a knee. And then now four, that was 2016. Mm-hmm. And now four years later, all of this has come full yeah. circle. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we are in a situation now where, again, everybody has to do better. Absolutely. Everybody. Um, and I think the third, the third thing for our three and out segment is when he spoke on the locker rooms and how he and his teammates and like you and your teammates, you could speak freely in the locker room. And we're trying to make the world like a big locker room. Like, yeah, that's great. And Again, we understand it because we're in the locker room. So we're just trying to get the again, there's the regular public to understand. Have the conversation. It's not like yeah. he said it. It's not going to hurt you. Like we're not going to, you know, if you, the a white person calls a black dude. So I want to have this conversation. Oh, what the what the f you calling me for? Like we're not going to do that. It's a real right. conversation. It's a real problem here in America, in the world. As, you know, as we've kind of discussed before. But have the conversation. Start the conversation. And we're just trying to move forward. And it's not 1960. It's not 1980. Let's not act like it. Let's really, you know, kind of commend when somebody is moving the needle forward when it comes to racism. And then, like you said, when you when you're not call those people out because those people need to be called out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it, man. That was uh, that was a good one. uh, Definitely a a heartfelt uh, discussion. Um, I know I want to. I mean, obviously, we want to talk a little bit about some other things to bring some levity uh, to what was going on. But again, yeah. I think this is a, this is a, a topic that needs yeah. to be had and discussions that need to be had. And, and as you said, you know, just, this is, is kind of like that call 
uh, that we're making, you know, to yeah. Chris Long, you know, I mean, yeah. having that dialogue, having these discussions yeah. and, and not being afraid to uh, to kind of share how you feel. And I yeah. think when you talk about the locker room, yeah, those conversations obviously can can permeate through the locker room. But, you know, can we get those conversations, you know, to, to permeate outside the locker room? Because yeah. that's it's, it's one thing to kind of keep it in house. This is not one of those topics that needs Can't to be do it. in house. Um, because it. again, this is this is this has been a world. This has been a, a worldwide, a global issue yeah. for us. This has been a historic issue yeah. uh, for 400 plus years, and so um, people are starting to figure, figure figure it out now. So yeah. you know, like I said, I like I said I don't condemn uh, the protests and none of that stuff that happened. Um, you know, uh, in the in the beginning, um, I'm not condoning everything, but I trust me, I felt where they were coming from. Yeah. Like Martin Luther King said, the riot, uh, a riot is the language of the unheard. And so, yeah, there you absolutely. Have absolutely. I mean, I, I get the last couple of weeks, I've just been so angry. I've been mad. I've been sad. I've been, I've been confused. And then I'm to the point, like I have to talk about it, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, what, but every conversation is, is so different because if it's, you know, with a black person that grew up in the black community is different than talking to a black person who grew up in a white community and right. black person with money is different than, you know, a black person who, you know, make a minimum wage. So it's, I'm so confused at times, but it's like, I still have to have so many more conversations because I don't know everything. Right. And I'm trying right, to, yeah. the, the Chris, you know, situations like I want to, what do the white people talk about when they're in that room amongst each other? How right. real does those conversations right. get? And exactly. I like, I want those answers as well. So again, I welcome the conversation. I wish we had a, a show we could have listeners call in because this is one of those conversations. I know we could go for hours upon hours, but uh, again, Soon. I'm just going to try to do my, yeah, do my part and move the needle, uh, you know, the best way I can. So. Yeah, I'm like you. I've always been interested. Like I said, we we know how the dialogue is with us. If it's just athletes versus, like I said, you go to the hood or if you're on the corner street or or you go to uh, just say you're holding a a workout. And then a lot of guys kind of just huddle up after that. You know, we start talking about things. You go to the barbershop, you know, all these conversations are a bit different. So, again, I, I, now you just brought some, you know, something to, to 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 my mind. Like, okay, well, I wonder what those questions, or what those, what that dialogue yeah. uh, conversation are like with just white people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish yeah. I could just be in the room or fly on the wall to kind of yeah. honestly see what they're talking about, see what the conversation, how it was initiated, you know, where it goes from there, yeah. um, just to hear the difference of opinions. And and honestly, you you you, we've gone through social media, and I've seen. You know, girl, uh, little kids, you know, these millennials, they're having discussions with their parents about mm-hmm. how the kids are a little bit more aware and accepting uh, of a black person. And because their parents have grown up in in an in a era and a time where they just don't see it the way mm-hmm. these millennials yeah. it's two yeah. different, uh, two different yeah. dynamics. And so it's, it's, it's sad, but it alludes to what I, I mentioned uh, in the show. This is these are things that are being taught. You know, mm-hmm. to these to these white people at an early age and their upbringing, they're a product of their environment. So, yeah, well, I, I think I think the, the millennials that you're talking about, again, that that I've seen, you know, on TV marching, I seen march marching with my own eyes. It's like if those 15 to 30 year olds that are marching out there, if 80 percent of them are real, like they're, you know, like they're portraying right, right now and they really have African-Americans back or well, this country's going to be all right. Oh, like, yeah, it's, that, it's so powerful to see somebody stick up for somebody they do not know. So, powerful. right. 
And obviously, uh, speaking on that, those millennials, I mean, we those 15 uh, to 30 year olds, the age to vote is what, 18. Yeah. So if we can get those millennials to go to the polls and, and vote. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, Trump has done himself a disservice because even if you're white and you work for him, just based on like what he's done as far as his leadership and basically caused so much division, then you come, they're going to vote somebody else just because they realize they just because they realize what has happened um, since he's been in office, especially these last couple of months. Absolutely. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone, to Get Your Popcorn Ready podcast. Again, it was a great conversation with Chris Long today, 11-year NFL veteran, two-time yes. Super Bowl champion, great guest today, had a good time. And be sure to uh, check out his uh, Greenlight podcast uh, as well. Yep. Check, get, your, get Your Popcorn Ready podcast. Check us out on the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Yep. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and swipe up when you see it. Sharon is caring. Peace. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.